0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. choices of their loved ones who are living a life of sin, who are struggling in an addiction, or who have chosen to go their own way, it is so heart-wrenching, especially for me, because I'm on both sides of the issue now. You know, at one time I was an addict and out there and doing crazy things, and now I'm on the other side helping people deal with their loved ones who are out there doing crazy things. A few years ago, when I was in school, I had to attend um, a 12-step meeting. Uh, specifically for people who have loved ones who are struggling in addiction. So I went and I sat there, and it was such a surreal moment to be sitting and hearing the words, fears, anguish of parents and loved ones who were talking about their addicted children or addicted husbands or wives or whatever. And it was um, life-changing for me. It brought such a perspective to my life that it was – I never looked at addiction the same. I never felt the same about it even though I was an issue, or I was uh, struggling with that issue before. You know, being a recovering addict, and this is what I learned, is does not make it any easier to deal with other people who are struggling in their addiction. It's just as confusing for me because I look back and I think, you know, I would have made that same choice and it makes no sense but it seemed to be the right decision then. I was so hardened in my heart at the time that I was unable to see that what I was doing was not only sinful, it was killing me and the people around me. There can be such a difficult mixture of emotions that occurs when we're dealing with somebody who's struggling in habitual sin and addiction. Can't there be? I mean, maybe you can relate to some of these. I think, first of all, there's probably worry. You know, we deal with... Drugs and issues that are dangerous. There are consequences. People die as a result of these things. And so we worry for our loved one that they're not going to make it. Or sadness, that their life had not become what we had hoped that it would be. Or anger, as we watch them continue to make choices that prioritize their sin over the loved ones in their lives. And temper all of that with compassion and just frustration and a deep desire For them to find the Lord health and healing. Helping our addicted loved ones requires that we exercise godly wisdom and loving detachment. Okay? As I preach today's sermon, I want you to know first and foremost that I am not preaching a theoretical topic here for me. I'm not getting up and simply studying the Bible, creating a sermon and saying theoretically, in the abstract, this is how we should handle it. I want you to know that I'm in the trenches. I want you to know that the Lord has dragged me through the mud in preparation for this series and in preparation for this message, and that I am speaking from experience in deep wounds as I've interacted with loved ones who are struggling with addiction and have chosen to go their own way. The problem is when we don't know what to do, when we try to do anything to help, we often end up hurting our addicted loved ones instead of actually helping them. And this is an important concept to know. And we can work against the Lord's purpose in their lives by just trying to love them. Sometimes we can even love people to death. And so we need to talk about that this morning. In Ephesians 5 here, Paul's writing to a church that was experiencing internal struggles. Uh, And in his letter, he reminds the Ephesians that they were once darkness, but now they are children of light and they need to put away sinful practices and seek holiness and the righteousness of God. This passage, though, teaches us, if we look at the principles embedded in it, will show us how to deal with loved ones who are struggling with habitual sin and addiction. Tells us how we can help them find redemption, pointing them to Christ, getting out of the way of God, and the consequences that he mercifully brings to their life. So it's important that we understand this. Now, I think this probably goes without saying, one last word before we jump in, is that I don't want you to believe or hear me demonizing addicts. I was a heroin addict. I was a crackhead. I was out there. The pastor you see in the Elmhurst Church today preaching with the button-up shirt is not the man who existed prior prior to 2007. So I am speaking in many ways as I preach to the old Adam, to the old me, so when you hear it, I hope you just hear the compassion in my voice, even though the things we're going to talk about today are hard, and there's no way around them. But we need to know how to deal with this. So the first principle out of this passage that we need to know is we need to beware of manipulation. Beware of manipulation. This is what Paul says. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Right before this, these things he's talking about is idolatry. Idolatry. Now you remember that we talked in our first message that addiction really in its most basic form is idolatry. It's worship of something, person, or whatever over and above God. And so Paul is reminding the Ephesians that the idolatry of the people around them and what they practice will have consequences no matter how well they can justify it. We should not be deceived. We need to be on our toes. You see, nature in its or the sin in its very nature is deceptive. I mean, you know this, don't you realize this? It promises that you're gonna feel better, it promises that you're gonna find fulfillment, it promises that you're gonna find a savior, and that God is withholding something good from you. But in the end, it turns out to be a lie. We turned out we turn out to have consequences that we never anticipated. We can even deceive ourselves. We can deceive, and not only do we deceive ourselves, but our addicts who are sinning in their addiction are also deceiving those around them. Paul warns us not to be deceived by empty words. You know, this is all about self-justification. We are addicts, I call myself one, master manipulators, master manipulators. In my experience with addicts, I, I haven't met very many addicts who are not intelligent people. Often it's the most intelligent people who are able to maintain their addiction the longest because they're able to convince using sophistry and plausible arguments and why they should continue to do what they're doing because in the end, this is what they want. Not only are they good manipulators, but I also was an equally good justifier. You see, if God and I were locked in a room, I could convince God to do anything. I was able to Reason my way into sin and make it seem so easy, like it made so much sense. But Paul tells us watch out. No matter how convincing they sound, no matter what they say, their sin is deceiving them and they're seeking to deceive you. So we need to be cautious of manipulation. Many of you know that I uh, love bird watching. And um, one bird that I particularly think is kind of cool is something called a killdeer. A killdeer lays its eggs in rocky soil, and and it's on the ground, and so it's a very vulnerable place to be. As you approach a killdeer's nest, the mama killdeer will get off the egg, walk a little bit away, and lay on the ground and flop around like they're injured. The idea being is that a predator who would come to them would chase the faking bird, the feigning bird, and as soon as the predator gets close, the bird gets up, waddles away a little further, and then lays on the ground like it's dying, and then the predator continues to follow so as to protect its egg. For addicts, the addiction is the egg. That is the most important vulnerable thing that needs to be maintained. And as they walk away in fiend injury, hurt, sorry, apologies, they're pulling people away in order to focus on something other than what is really the issue at hand. They're trying to focus on this, you know, watch my hand over here while this hand's doing something sort of situation. We need to be careful. Paul says, don't be deceived. The wrath of God comes upon people who do this. Now, when we read wrath of God in the scripture, it's important to know that we don't always read or should not always read hellfire and brimstone. That the wrath of God is God's anger against sin, and God's anger against sin is also manifested in consequences for actions here on earth. And so Paul is saying, don't let these people lie to you or deceive you. Not only will there be consequences at the end, there's consequences now. Oftentimes when we're dealing with people who are struggling with habitual sin, we hear this. It's fine. It's it's fine. It's no big deal. I can remember myself saying that. You're making a big deal out of nothing. I'm okay. I'm fine. Paul tells us to be cautious. You see, Sinners often attempt to deceive those around them, addicts, me, to maintain their addiction, to quiet their conscience, or to cover their shame. And as we hear people say things that seem to make sense, I'm in such pain, often back pain is a big thing, back pain. Or no one's going to love me, so I need to be with this person. Who else is there? hear these plausible arguments in the end we need to remember that they are deceiving us and it's often hard to know what's right this is why we need to be in God's word we need to be in God's word sharing our struggles with someone outside of the sort of system that the addiction has created to get help us bring us to our senses bring us to our senses so watch for manipulation that's the first principle second principle from this passage is guard your own walk with the Lord guard your own walk. Paul says, therefore be not partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, as children of God, those who have been called out of darkness, we are now children of light. We've been redeemed. Our eyes have been opened. Our spirits have been made alive. Even with that, Dealing with those in our life who are in habitual sin, sinful living, or in addiction can just simply be exhausting. It creates such stress on our heart and on our walk with the Lord that we begin to see where there's cracks. We begin to see where things are getting weak, and the old person in us begins to come out. You know, I don't know about you, but no matter how close I feel to the Lord at any given time, if our family's late for an event, The old me is right there to jump out. As soon as I feel the stress of knowing that I might be late, I don't know if it's the military coming out of me or whatever, it's easy for me to get angry, frustrated, and short with the people I love the most. We run the risk of living out of fear and out of the flesh instead of out of faith if we're allowing the stressors in our life to break through. The fruit of our life should be threefold, Paul says, good, right, and true. Good, I think this relates to our attitude. We should be focusing on that which is positive. As children of light, we have every reason to rejoice, don't we? No matter what is happening in our lives, it doesn't mean we're not sad about what's happening. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve the struggles of the people in our lives around us or our own struggles, but certainly we have every reason to rejoice, particularly when we consider how long eternity is. And how bad hell is. And the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us from both. We should be walking on sunshine. We should be walking on sunshine. We need to keep focusing on the good, even in the face of despair. When we're struggling with people who are frustrating, who are bringing us stress, who are stuck in their sin, we need to keep a Christ-centered perspective. And ask God to show us, how do you view this person? What are the redeeming qualities in this person's life, even in the face of their sin, that I can hold on to and thank you for? The second fruit is righteousness. So here in the ESV, it's listed as right, but it's the same word, righteousness. I think this relates to our behavior. As children of light, we need to live righteously. You know, and this is this is an important piece. You need to understand this. A significant portion of our helping addicts in our lives is helping ourselves. Let me say that again in a different way. When we struggle to help the people in our lives who are struggling in their addiction, our primary concern is not their addiction. Our primary concern is our walk with the Lord. Our walk with the Lord. The reason is, is we know that it's like a battlefield, and when we get stressed, bad things come out. We need to double down in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But more importantly is, even as we're going to learn here, we're often part of the problem. We're part of the problem. Addictions do not happen in isolation. They do not happen in a vacuum. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll watch shows um, on uh, TLC or some other episode like that where often it's a man or a woman who is just, they've just grown they're morbidly obese. They've just grown very large over time. And they get this bariatric surgery and it's their whole walk. I love, I'm a transformation guy. I love transformations. One of my favorite shows for a long time is What Not to Wear. You take someone who has frumpy clothing, no makeup and a bad haircut, and you just like transform them. That's like, I believe Jesus Christ did that to me. And I love watching it happen in the lives of other people, no matter what that looks like. And it's very exciting for me. So when I watch these shows where we see transformations of people, it really gets me excited. One of the things I've taken away from these shows that seem to happen again and again, and it rings true in my own life, is that people don't get this way by themselves. There's always somebody enabling them. There's always somebody helping them, even if they're doing it out of the most pure, loving place in their heart. And we're going to talk about what that means and, and how to uh, sort of deal with that as we go forward. But we need to understand that our behavior has a direct impact in this whole situation where struggling with struggling peop- or dealing with people who are struggling in their addiction. So we need to watch our behavior. But the third fruit of our uh, being children of light is focusing on that which is true. These are our thoughts. As children of light, we need to speak and think truth, telling ourselves the truth in the face of feelings or fear. Or despair. When we see our loved ones struggling and we say, oh, they're just typical, we need to remind ourselves that God does not see them the same way, that God's truth says that they have value, that they're made in the image of God, that yes, they're in their sin, but God, because of who he is, sent his son to die for their behalf as well. We Focus on that which is true, telling ourselves and others the truth not only about what God says, but our own needs and our own boundaries. Paul warns us not to be partakers in their sin. Now, this is an interesting idea, is that we can be involved in somebody's sin without partaking of the exact sin, all right? So if somebody is sinning in our lives against us, or somebody is stuck in habitual sin like an addiction, we can easily be resentful against them, have anger, hold, hold grudges, What we end up doing is partaking with them in their sin, even if it is not the same thing that they are doing. We need to guard our hearts. We can become angry. Many of us can become permissive. It's not that bad. At least they're not here, right? Um, I spoke to someone several years ago uh, who had an addict child and the child was using drugs in the house in the basement and I talked to this person and I said "Uh, do you you know about this oh yeah I know about it so you're letting this person bring drugs onto your property to use them on your property to commit crimes on your property and to hurt themselves and they said I would rather know they were safe in my basement than dying on the street now that's a very deceptive statement because it sounds so right on its face, but we need to be cautious about what is really good, right, and true for the people in our lives. Is insulating people from consequences the best thing for them? Is helping them through their addiction by offering respite and resources really the proper thing to do? Certainly not as a punishment, but as a redemption. Uh, as a redemption. I don't know about you, but. I can even be malicious at times. Just be so angry I just want to get back at them. We all know that get back feeling. Just want to get back at them. You did this to me, so now I'm going to do this to you. Paul tells us, God tells us to be careful. He says discern what the will of the Lord is. In the face of the chaos of dealing with somebody who's struggling in their addiction, we need what we need to do is not always immediately clear. Fortunately, God has not left us without guidance. We have information and commands and uh, marching orders on what to do. We're not feeling around in the dark in these situations, even though it feels like that. First, we have the Spirit's guidance. We ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do? Move me in the right direction. Have me walk through doors and and find people that will help me in this situation. Secondly, we have God's Word, which is the Marching orders par excellence in our life, isn't it? We need to be in God's word. The more people I talk to while I'm pastoring, the more I realize how little people are in God's word. We need to be in God's word. Any feeling you have about your life is suspect, unless it comes from God's word. This is the raw material for a life of Christ, a life of walking as a Christian. Finally, we have fellowship and godly counsel. Sometimes we just need people to bring us to our senses. I'll call someone sometime and say, this is really, this is happening in my life, and this is what I'm doing. And they say, why would you do that? That's a terrible idea. When I'm all caught up in my feelings, when I'm interacting with somebody, it often seems like a good idea while I'm being compassionate. Sometimes we get into these sort of debates. What about this? No, you're not seeing it clearly. This third party outside of the system is capable of telling us, this is what's happening. Don't you see it? And because it's somebody I trust, I act on that. I act on that. Sometimes we need people to bring us to our senses. Third principle, avoid enabling. Avoid enabling. Paul says, take no part, take no part in their unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Paul cautions us to take no part in what he calls unfruitful works. These are sins. Take no part in their addiction. When we help addicts, we need to be very cautious about freeing up resources for them to act sinfully. Now, when I was a drug addict, $10 was my magic number. I needed $10, okay? One time I was out of gas. I asked mom and dad for money. They gave me $9 because they knew. If they put gas in my car at the amount of $10, I would take the $10 I actually had in my hand because I was probably lying. I don't remember. I'm sorry. The money I probably had in my hand to do what I really wanted to do. I talk to people all the time. My child's struggling. And it's not just drugs, alcohol, food, sex, pornography, anything. This is not just a drug issue. There are hundreds of things that people can get stuck habitually in their sin. Okay, this is important for you. In fact, next week we're going to talk about pornography. So I'll let you guys know about that now. It'll be in, like an empty church. But anyway, we're going to talk about pornography. But when and so I talk to these people and I say well they're living here at my house and so what do you do for them well, what do you mean do you cook them dinner yes do you do their laundry of course how old are they 32 you're doing laundry for a 32 year old yeah of course someone's got they're gonna mess up my washer so I'm gonna still do the laundry you give them a car yeah they borrow my car do you pay for the insurance yeah I pay for the insurance all of these things are insulators and allow addiction to continue to grow and be cultivated because there's no hard thing that they ever come up against in their life of addiction. We need to be cautious about enabling people. We don't give them money. We don't perform acts of service that would free up resources. We don't protect them from the natural consequences of their sin. What does that mean? We don't pay their overdue bills. These are very practical things. We don't pay their overdue bills. We don't provide legal help when they invariably will get in trouble with the law. My kids know go to jail don't call me to bail you out it's going to be a while okay no one bailed me out and it was the most merciful thing that anyone has ever done for me don't bail them out that's in every aspect of their life don't run errands for them don't make excuses for them it's not that bad well you don't understand this time's different this and that it sounds very hard doesn't it This is the approach we need to take in order to allow them to feel the natural consequences of their actions. And you might say to me, but that doesn't sound very loving. What about love? Where does love come into this? Don't get me wrong, we love our addicts. But the world's view of love is not the biblical view of love. The world's view of love are kind feelings, compassion, strong connection. Those are certainly important, but that's not how the Bible represents love. Bible represents love, sacrificial action for the behalf of another person at the expense of ourself. The loving thing we can do is often the hard thing. The hard thing. I was watching Dances with Wolves the other day, and at the beginning there's a scene where Kevin Costner's boot comes off and he's laying in a hospital during Civil War, and the doctor's going to saw his leg off because he's got a wound on his foot. They don't have any anesthesia. And it just so happens by providence, you know, that the doctor says, ugh. Oh, I couldn't take another leg off. Let's go coffee up. We'll come back. This guy will still be here. But it started me on a thought process, you know, a whole, well, what if he gets back and they have to cut that leg off without anesthesia? What would that feel like? What would that feel like? It would be the most horrific pain that anyone could probably go through. Not only pain physically, but traumatic emotionally. That's something that I would think about every day after I had my leg taken off. Did you know that more people died in the Civil War due to gangrene infection than they did from actual gunshot wounds? So the number one killer was not the actual bullet or the bomb or whatever. It was the after effects. And so the most merciful thing that that doctor could have done, even without anesthesia, was to take that man's leg off because to leave it on, sure death. Sometimes our interaction with our loved ones were a gangrenous limb. We're the ones helping them. Sometimes the thing that they need is to be severed from us, even if it's painful, in order that they might find healing. It isn't just letting them fend for themselves or being mean in that way. I would encourage you, if you're having a hard time with this, I would encourage you this. Ask somebody who has dealt with an addict for a long time in their life if they should stop helping them. And I guarantee you, the person who has been burned will tell you, yes, stop helping them. I will tell you, me, don't help me. Blaine knows if anything ever happened and I use drugs again, I could expect a different lock when I get home at the front door. And there will be no repose. There will be no respite for me. I need that. I need that. We all need that, that we know we have people in our lives that love us so much and will hold us so accountable that when we sin, they'll find you will not find help from me out of love, out of love. I know this pain. I know this pain of having to cut somebody off. I'm living it in multiple ways. So for those of you who are struggling, or struggling with letting go of somebody or looking back and thinking about oh, all the trauma I went through, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. But God can do this. It's for the benefit of the person. and He can give us the grace that we need to love these people well even when they don't understand it, because they likely won't. It says that we should not only not be partakers, but we should expose their deeds. To paraphrase a biblical scholar, Andrew Lincoln, this is what he says. He says, exposing their deeds is meant to take place through our behavior. We don't tell everyone what's going on. We don't point them out and say, sinner, you know. But we refuse to join in the evil actions and we display a different quality of life. When we're interacting with people in our lives who are struggling in their sin, it should be a reminder to us that we need to tighten up our own walk, that we need to lean into the Lord. When we do that, we will cast our illuminating beam into the dark recesses of the surrounding society and of the people we love who are struggling. And in that process, it will show their immoral practices for what they are. I needed that. When that happened and someone did the right thing, (laughs) when I wanted to do the wrong, I was like, oh, it was like a knife, you know, conscience got me. We need to do that. We need that. But when we do it, we need to watch our actions, our attitudes. We say it like this. And I'll tell you how I've said it. I love you. You're so important to me. I want what's best for you in your life and I know God has made you for something different. Yet for whatever reason continue to do this action and it hurts me to see you hurt yourself it hurts me to see you have consequences in the people's life around you myself included and so I will not be a partaker in your sin anymore sometimes you have to say so don't call me don't contact me don't reach out I love you so much to let the Lord bring consequences into your life and when you have some time clean and your eyes are opened, we'll talk again we'll renegotiate our relationship going forward we'll talk and see if it's the right time and in the right way we're reintegrating as sometimes it's father and son sometimes it's husband and wife we cannot help them continue to stay sick because i know from experience it won't help See, our detaching from them, while it'll feel like a punishment to them, is not meant to be a punishment. It's helped to bring them to a place of repentance while protecting us from their sin. So that's our fourth principle. The goal of our detachment is redemptive. Redemptive. And then Paul goes on and says this when anything is exposed by the light, so that's our behavior, that's our actions. Christ in us it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light therefore it says awake o sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ's light will shine on you he's talking about the redemptive work of the light of Christ in the lives of dead people <laughs> people who are stuck in their sin who have darkened minds and hearts that, that are dead when we expose their works and refuse to enable them by living true to our calling it has a redemptive effect We cannot and should not punish our loved ones who are stuck in sin, because we will do that. Sometimes out of our own fear, our own anger, we'll just want to punish them. Stay away from me. And what they get is a feeling of judge and hate. We need to be cautious when we deliver these things that it's about redemption. It's always about redemption. Consequences for sin can be the most loving and redemptive thing for people who are stuck in it. 1 Corinthians 5.5, five, Paul talks about this in the context of the Corinthian church. There was somebody who was having immoral sexual relations, and it seems to be repeated immoral sexual relations, with who was basically his stepmom. It was his father's wife. And Paul is very clear. You're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There is a hard thing about letting someone feel the consequences of the sin in their lives in order that they would be redeemed in the end. And this is a principle that occurs several times in the scripture. We cut people off as a merciful thing. You see, the light of Christ shines upon others through our Christ-like words, actions, and attitudes. So we need to watch what we say, what we think. We need to watch our actions. There's a lot I want to say there, but I don't want to say it right now. Fifth principle. Do not procrastinate in addressing their sin or addiction. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, it's easy for us to procrastinate in dealing with this issue in our lives or in the lives of the people around us for several reasons. First of all, it's the fear of the unknown are they going to be? Who are they going to become? What's going to happen? One thing that is really interesting to me is that sometimes people will get clean or sober or live a different life and the families that they can't, they don't like them anymore. They're like, I don't even know who you were. I liked you better when you were getting drunk or high or whatever. You're like a different person. Sometimes the fear of what might become motivates us to not do anything. Or the fear of negative consequences for us, for our loved ones. I was on the phone with somebody just Uh, The other day, they had a a young person in their life who was struggling, and um, they were on the street, and I I asked, have they been to jail yet? No. Well, don't help them not go. If they get caught and they go to jail, praise God. Praise God. It's not a punishment. It's not a justice thing. It is a mercy thing. Praise God. Praise God that they have consequences in their life. My life verse, I talk about it, Psalm 119, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn Thy statutes. It's only in the context of pain that we begin to turn to the Lord. No one gets saved on the day they win the lottery. No one wins a billion dollars and says, thank you, Jesus, I come to you in full submission. They don't. It's when they become alcoholics, blow their money, get divorced, house burns down, and now they have nothing after being a billionaire, then they come to Jesus Christ. Because the pain in our life is intended to motivate us, to move back to our true source of pleasure, uh, of, of satisfaction and joy, God alone. Sometimes we don't do anything, this is so important, especially moms, I want you to hear this, for fear of not being needed anymore. I don't know, you guys ever see uh, the Andy Griffith show when Aunt B goes away for a week or whatever, and Aunt B comes back and the whole house is clean, they fend for themselves, Andy and Opie were, everything was fine. She comes back to like a depressive crisis. She says, they really don't need me anymore. And then they start acting in ways like, jo- so obvious that B can come in and start doing things again and feel, let me tell you, that's called codependency. We laugh about it because it was in the 50s, but we do it today with our addicts and it's gonna kill them. It's gonna kill them. Sometimes the chaos in somebody's life does something within our hearts to say, I'm needed. I'll res- Ricky Rescue. When we rush to help the people in our lives who are struggling with consequences as a result of their sin, we are hurting them, not helping them. That's why we need to guard our hearts when we're dealing with addicts. What's motivating me? Do I need them to be sick? In order to find satisfaction, fulfillment, there's another way of saying this. It's a Messiah complex. It's a Messiah complex. Early in my seminary training, I had a... a, time I sat with the counselor and at the end they said you have a messiah complex how dare you say that as I walked out and said oh she's right I recognized that after she said it that's exactly what I was trying to do fix, save, manage (laughs) control in the end Jesus is the only messiah and it's to him we have to point people we can't fix the problem we can't fix our addicts we can't even fix ourselves right how are we going to help somebody else fix them We need to give up our fear to God and trust him and his plan no matter what that looks like because sometimes we're afraid of what might happen. What if they die? This woman who lets her kid use drugs in the basement, she kicks him out. He goes out into the street, becomes homeless, still a drug user, and dies. What do you tell that person? What then? It's a hard truth. And again, any of these addictions are going to kill us truth is is that that person has a free will with choices to make the person is on their own journey with the lord and often we are in the way of god's plan and so what's left in the end we have to take our loved ones and say lord they're yours whatever happens you got to do it i can't do it i'm holding on to their life so hard i'm let i just i can't do it you have to do it it's a hard choice I can tell you when I've made that choice several times, I've immediately felt a weight. makes me sad when I think about it. But I've immediately felt a weight come off my shoulders and knowing that, oh, I don't got to manage this anymore. That God can do this. And because God is good and because God is just and because God is merciful, whatever happens, it's going to be okay. When I stand before him one day and I look back and say, well, what about this? Why'd you do this? he offers up an answer to me at the end i think i'm going to be like Job. you're right even if i can't understand it now continuing to fix manage and control our addicts and their circumstances is just not sustainable we can't do it forever god wants you to leave this to him we detach from what might happen what might happen and give our addicts back to God to deal with and trust God's goodness, mercy, and justice, as I said. We need to do this quickly, because every time we overlook a sin committed or minimize their sin or bail them out of some consequence, we prolong their suffering and short-circuit God's intended means to change them. And the time could be short. The time could be short. There's a book that says, what is it, One Heartbeat Away. We're one heartbeat away from eternity. There's no doubt that addiction and all of their myriad manifestations have serious life-altering consequences for us, for our loved ones, and for those around them. I mean, our addicts could die in their addiction. It's just the truth. Christ could return. He could be here right now. Or even right now. It's called the imminent return of Christ. Any moment. The truth is is that we are one heartbeat away. So the time is short. The sooner we begin getting out of the way of God's work in the lives of our loved ones, the sooner be it God's will that they will come to see him as their Lord. And if they don't, we give it to God. God, this is their are they're on a journey with you. It's on them. And we don't know when it's going to end. So we need to be the five points beware of manipulation guard your own walk with the Lord avoid enabling the goal of our detachment is redemptive even though it's gonna it feels like punishment I've been on that side do not procrastinate in addressing their sin or addiction because the time is short we don't know what's going to happen none of you know what's going to happen in fact some of you sitting here today uh, may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord you may not have looked to him as your Savior who died in your place that you could have forgiveness and eternal life. I want you to think about this. We're going to celebrate communion here in just a few moments. We're going to celebrate the death of Jesus Christ as a memorial of what he did on our behalf. So let me tell you what he did on your behalf. You see, we were distant from God the Father. We were distant because of our sin. We were made for intimacy and relationship. Yet our sin created a wedge between us and God, Because God's just, all he could see was our sin. He could not see us. There was a block. God, in his loving way, detached from us. And Christ came on our behalf, a perfect man and perfect God, to die in our place so our sin could be placed on his shoulders. And as he died, he was our perfect substitute. The way we apprehend, the way we grasp this salvation is to simply trust God at his word, that our sin, when we have faith in Christ, has been placed on him and when we do something amazing happens doesn't always happen like a light switch some faster some slower for the way it feels but I can tell you this is that the moment you trust Jesus Christ by faith the Holy Spirit comes and makes your spirit alive amen is right amen we have every reason to rejoice and when we are alive we will always be alive once for all walking by faith when you truly believe you become a child of God and a children, a child of light. A child of light. So I encourage you today. We're going to pray. We're going to ask any of you who have not get, taken a moment to get right with God, to ask the Lord to save you for what be, through what Jesus has done, we're going to make today the day. Today can be the day. June 6, 2021, you can say, my life changed that day. And it's never been the same. We're going to pray that. I'm going to pray for the elements then, and then we're going to have communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hard message. Many of us needed to hear this. Many of us realize as we look back in our lives how we were getting in the way of your good purpose for the people we love. It's so painful, Lord. It's so hard to see the people that we love and have grown to love. Not only make decisions and choices that hurt them but also hurt us and most importantly Lord hurt you We know that your heart grieves for the lost and those who are going their own way more than our heart grieves for our loved ones who have gone their own way so we ask Lord that you would bless this message and give us strength as we seek to do that Lord, we know that time is short and so we need to be prompt and so we ask this time right now Lord that you would call into your kingdom those people who you have prepared today to hear this message for those of us who are sitting here who don't know Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you, would, that you would talk to them right now. That they would feel your presence in your spirit, Lord, and that you would give them the grace to believe. The grace to believe. We pray, Lord, that you would move in their hearts to pray this prayer. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm lost without you, yet I trust that Jesus has died in my place. So I choose to live my life differently, trusting in him and not in what I've been doing. Lord, we thank you for those who you have saved today and those who you might save in a video five years from now who managed to watch this episode. Lord, we know this, ser- this service. We know that you are capable of doing anything in your strength. And so we ask that you would do this for your glory. Lord, as we celebrate communion today, we just think of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, what our big brother did to make a way for salvation for his family so we look to him Lord just as he blessed the bread and the wine and gave thanks to it on the night before he was betrayed so we give thanks Lord for these elements and we ask that you would bless them we ask Lord as we celebrate communion that we would be remembering what Jesus has done and that we would take this time to be interactive with you to engage you and ask Lord where do you want our life to be different what do we need to repent of And what do we need to do differently to glorify you with our life? Lord, we love you so much, and we know that you can do anything, break through any hard heart, open any darkened eyes, because you've done it before with each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are visiting, we have a cool little cup here. So there's there's two layers to it. There's a top layer. This is like a cellophane layer that's going to get you the bread, and then the second one will get you the juice. This is grape juice. What I want you to do is take this time, your own time, with the Lord, each of you, and ask the Lord about your life and what you would like him to do and what he would like you to do. I want you to have a conversation with God. And as you remember Christ and what he's done on your behalf on your own time, I want you to take these elements as an interaction between you and your creator.